to the BTN Europe Week in Review podcast. I'm Molly Dyson, and I'm once again joined by my panel of industry experts, and I'll hand it over to them to introduce themselves now. Excellent. Hi, this is Daniel Talos. I work for Nike, and I'm their uh, EMEA travel manager. Thanks for having me. Hi, Karen Hutchings. I'm the global head of travel meetings and events for EY. Pleasure to be here again. Hi, my name's Dave Bishop. I'm the Chief Commercial Officer at TMC Grey Doors. Hello, my name is Paul Tilstone from Festive Road. We're on a mission to create better travel and meetings management. And I would warn you, I've had way too much coffee this morning, so it could be dangerous. <laughs> good to know. It's, I think it's always good to have a bit more energy for, for discussions like this. <laughs> yeah, but I'm, I'm over the edge of the minute, so let's be careful. <laughs> We have to say more energy from Mr. Tillstone could be dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what you wish for. <laughs> Great. Uh, so thank you everybody for joining us. Um, uh, you, you might need a bit of coffee for this discussion because we're kind of uh, going on from our discussion last week about some of the short-term policies that we're starting to see as a result of the coronavirus pandemic. Um, and I want to look at some of the things that you think might be implemented long term. Uh, I know travel managers are, um, they've, they've got a bit of downtime at the moment. Um, so they might be looking at not just what they can do now to protect their travelers, but how they can implement these changes long term to maybe reach goals that they didn't have time to before. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? So, I mean, I think for the long term for us, um, some of the things that we're implementing as an example is um, removing day trips. Um, you know, that's something that we've done in the short term, but in fairness, so we've been able to hold meetings and interact with people without having to travel on a day trip. And so, you know, there's there's tens of thousands that we had. So that's one thing that we've really looked at. Um, also, I would say around um, getting information into profiles, it may not be necessarily part of the policy, but just making sure that we've got all of the information captured, uh, mobile numbers, et cetera, et cetera. And I know we're within the realms of data privacy there. However, um, it is key to know how we can get hold of our people. So we have been using this as an opportunity to get that information, which then rolls into ensuring that the agency is used for all of the requirements of booking the trip or the trip that's being taken. And so we are really enforcing that now as a mandate. And that's definitely as well going to be a very long term projection that we look at um, because ultimately being able to track people. We know it's always been important, but many companies are challenged with actually how they identify where people are. Um, and so this is one thing that we are doing for the long term. And then the final one, though, is around the whole sustainability piece and how we use virtual meetings more or a hybrid than actually expecting to have everybody in person. So we used to have something as an example, welcome to EY, which may have entailed flying people to a place, which was a great thing to do, but was it absolutely necessary? And so we're looking at that as a different element that we would be doing it in a different way going forward. I, I think um, if, if you look historically, 
the sort of drivers of long-term policy changes. Um, so, you know, 9-11, the policy changes and the subsequent market service changes were all risk-driven, uh, security and safety-driven. If you look at the impact of the global credit crunch, the impact on policies were all cost-driven. Um, and I think we're in, in the COVID era, the drivers of long-term policy change are multiple. Their risk, their uh, liability to the corporation, which is increasingly becoming a big issue. Uh, they're disruption driven. Uh, and of course, for some market sectors, there is also a cost component, but it's a very uneven market. So um, there are probably some the corporations and sectors out there that aren't experiencing a cost driver in their long term policy changes. Certainly, you know, from the research we were talking about, about last week, I've seen further research that suggests that, uh, you know, direct flights, uh, flexibility in the tickets, ability to uh, predetermine your seat and the space around you, um, security lane access. These are uh, some of the disruption, risk and liability drivers, but those are all extra cost or likely to result in extra cost in the long run. So whether they feature long term in everyone's policy, I think is we're yet to see. Agreed. I think I, I agree with both of you on the on the security duty of care element uh, getting more more traction and not only limited to the uh, health and safety risks, but also reassess other risks which are out there. And then I think what, what you described by having more of a grander consumer experience pool, so having access to uh, to different type of services, I think that also uh, kind of raises the question like the policies are always arguing in terms of uh, relative or absolute uh, stakes when it comes to uh, hot, uh, hotel rate caps, uh, airfare uh, caps, etc. So it feels like uh, having all these items somehow, you know, being part of the, the overall cost, it would make sense to move to a per trip uh, logic. Uh, as opposed to having um, these caps out there. Right now, there's also a big volatility piece, which is some, like it, it's really some of the market is actually finding that uh, that there's volatility. So I think it makes sense to have more of a trip logic as opposed to having individual buckets and then trying to force people also to to, to, to basically purchase things that they may not need and others that they would need, but they have no real entitlement by those. So I think it's it's uh, probably it will make more sense if technology also enables that to have that per trip um, logic and then um, more um, of you know kind of a, from a menu type of, of 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 pricing, people can actually get things into it and and they would still be kept at a trip level. I think it's a good point you you raised, Daniel. What what we're seeing talking to, to to our client base is kind of almost a move around, a move away from this kind of annual round of things like doing hotel programs. So that so it's and that really kind of dovetails with you know why is there leakage? Because people maybe don't want to stay at the hotels that are prescribed, so they they they'll go outside a program. Whereas if you have a cap that's dynamic and you know, we see cap, some caps with our clients where they move each month. It just go, but you, you load it into the booking tool and it's done. So people have got flexibility to move 
to kind of go with it with, within within broader boundaries and it stops this kind of merry-go-round in quarter three quarter four each year of having to do you know, hotel rfp which you kind of question you know how, how real if how really how effective is that in the long run does it you know what does it drive there are certain circumstances you know Karen, for you and your kind of London office, you know, certainly around, is it Waterloo, your, is it your head office around? London Bridge, yeah. London Bridge, yeah, kind of, so around, you know, around there, but there might be, absolutely, I need a, I need a hotel RFP, but in other, in other areas, you could be flat, you know, far more flexible. I think the other thing, the kind of long-term change, I think culturally people are going to be more accepting of being tracked, you know, what you're doing, because when things go wrong, we need to kind of, you know, Find people find where they've been, uh, particularly where we kind of where you know, and that I mean, we ultimately as a TMC, we want all of your spin. We don't want any leakage, and that's kind of our community, you know, as a, a community as a whole. So I think this with with having potentially going to caps, you know, bringing bringing more people in, and then we can kind of we can track and you know we can track and trace. So if things do go wrong, if there's an outbreak at a hotel, we've got all of the you know we we can actually we're part of that data flow. So we can go right. There was an outbreak here. You need to isolate, and and we can kind of bring it all together a lot more closely than we're doing anywhere where people go off grid and we just don't know what's what's going on. Um, and I think the other piece is around. I think um, Paul or Daniel, you're talking about kind of direct versus via. I think there's you know certainly now traveling going via the traditional hubs if you go in long haul you know the hubs in you know maybe in the you know near east and the, and the and the middle east it's far more complex doing that so people pretend to go direct which i i think is you know that's potentially going to push up flight prices over the you know, over the next kind of 12 18 months um which is but it's it's at the it's you know there might be great cost but there's more convenience for the traveler because you're not having to go through multiple sets of protocols around kind of traveling through countries um which can be super complex and you know you know you've got it wrong when you don't get allowed into the country so and we're kind of seeing some and it's you know we're seeing some things change you know it's the challenge for us as a t as, as a tmc community now is is information changes daily on what you can do, what you can't do. So, you know, we're seeing, you know, flights changing you know, on mul you know, multiple times between booking booking and actually flying. So what we desperately need to, to see that kind of calm down a little bit. Um, but I, I think the sort of the hub model that we see with some of the Middle East airlines, I'm not sure how sustainable that is in the long term. I had, a, I had a really interesting conversation with um, Daniel Price from Journey the other day. I have to credit him because I'm about to say something that he said to me. But I think another factor for sort of if we're looking at the sort of macro policy changes is the, the cultural change of location of work and the move to work from home from office. Um, is likely to mean that actually people's employment contracts may well change so their place of work becomes their home office rather than their physical office. It's not going to apply to everyone or every business, but I think we're going to see quite a big shift in that direction. And that means that um, trips into the office or trips into a meeting space where teams have to gather become business trips. And that's a shortening of the, the sort of average business trip and that has implications for policy and procurement because it means the focus might shift to localized car or localized meeting space 
um, away from those big long trips, which where the vast majority of the policy and program was focused in the past. And we're seeing more use of meeting spaces because offices aren't open. Uh, people need to meet, but offices aren't open because they're not, they haven't, you know, they've been empty for six months. So, you know, that, you know, we're to that point. We're seeing meeting spaces go up, which is, yeah, you know, fill it, fill in a direct need. I don't, I don't see that changing in the short term either. And we're actually we're seeing that already as well about how we are looking at the space, maybe close to our offices, but also, um, interestingly, you know, the use of hotels that are close to the office because people don't want to travel so far. Um, you know, they want to be able to get somewhere quickly, the limitation of being on public transport, etc. And so we're seeing that happen. But just one point you raised there, David, about the dynamic pricing. We were fortunate or maybe we had foresight, you call it what you want, but we went dynamic pricing three years ago. And I can honestly tell you for now, it was absolutely the best decision. But, but twofold though, one, um, because of the fact we've been able to take advantage of what's going on in the market, but also being very candid, it helps out our key partner suppliers, because I think we cannot lose sight of the fact of the impact in our industry and how many people are no longer there that we would deal with before. And so if there's a way that we as corporates can simplify processes for our suppliers, then I think we have a duty for it. Um, and certainly, you know, dynamic pricing absolutely helps. And I know it's fairly controversial and there's been things written about it, about whether it's the right thing to do or not. For us, though, we didn't have to scramble doing any renegotiation whatsoever. What we, we did do was just look at our city caps and put in new city caps, but that was it. Um, but certainly, I think we have a duty to support our key suppliers about how do we limit what we expect on them from a work perspective whilst they are going through what they're going through. Um, and I really hope that many people think about that um, as we're in this situation. If if uh, the, if the, 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 the least that happens through all of this is remove the hotel RFP programme, then, you know, that's a fundamental change. And, you know, I'm glad to, um, it's pleasing for me to hear because it's something that we've been talking about for a while with our customer base. And we just slowly get them to realise that this is time and effort that doesn't deliver to the bottom line. You know, have caps, have preferred hotels to support your local suppliers, but give, you know, let people's, I don't believe in this kind of, you know, people going online and the, the term visual guilt people want to spend their money carefully they've given a broad choice they've given a cap they're spending them you know they've got response they've got budget responsibility so let them do it for the hotels they choose maybe within a broader range but at least you know you, you stop people going outside of your program if they go outside you can't track them costs go up you know um, particularly as people's travel plans change and uh, no show bills and all that all, all that kind of stuff I think mm -hmm. just going back to your earlier point about um, about meeting space, you know, the the, the challenge that kind of our, us as a TMC industry has had traditionally is how do you get all of this content of meeting space into one place? Uh, luck, thankfully, there is that there, there is uh, you know that we're starting to see that you know, Great Oars we use a company called Meetings Booker. Uh, they're used by quite a few other 
you know, large, large, large corporates directly. So we just, it, it gives you that booking tool experience, but for meeting rooms and lets you do all of those permutations, you know, size of room, shape of room, you know, breakfast, you know, when you want tea and coffee, but it kind of really shortens down that booking process. So you're not kind of spending too much time doing it because otherwise it can be, it can be time consuming for you. So we found that's kind of been super beneficial for certainly our clients that are using it. Makes sense. Just back to the um, meeting room and, and hotel um, trends. So I, I have been hearing also about companies having uh, quite some office capacities, right, freeing up. So some com companies are playing with the idea of creating even hotel capacity um, in their office locations and, and campuses and also increase meeting uh, space uh, capacity. So that's maybe also an interesting uh, effect what, what Paul has been describing around uh, maybe teams going to the main location and trying to spend their more focused time together, interact, and then uh, that obviously will, will appear as a, as a surplus. You, you may have called it uh, in the past commuting. Now you will call it probably as a as travel slash, slash meeting, right? I, I think you're comment about um so bringing dynamic pricing into this discussion is um is very insightful because i, I see that the distribution and the changes brought about by covid so that the sort of changes in distribution we were already going through them the recent changes brought about by covid are creating change in two key areas um and these are the really exciting points within travel management over the next few years. One of them is that that policy pro traveler profile component. And the other one is the dynamic pricing bit. And I'll, I'll, I'll illustrate that. Um, and, and I think I'd sort of encapsulate it as is, is technology is going to liberate the policy. So the policy at the moment is this sort of is still this this bloody static document. And the, you know it's trying to be interpreted by the TMC or the OBT. But um, we've talked before about the, our consumption engine theory. And what I mean by that is I think there's um, the uh, evolution has already started with, um, I'm sorry to bring it back up again, but NDC allowing the creation of bundles. And so instead of a sort of single fare type offered to a traveler, you're beginning to, to offer fares to types of travelers. It's that sort of beginning to segment the travelers. But actually, where we're going to end up is a load of components are going to determine what's offered to the traveler. And this is where the policy comes in, the modern policy. And I call it a unique policy application. Personalized risk, the return on investment of the trip, of the, to your point, Daniel, the, the per, per trip logic, as you call it. The friction, a friction metric that the traveler has been through or is likely to go through and the, their own personal experience drivers, which at the moment are their kind of preferred suppliers and the, the loyalty schemes. All of that is going to effectively mean like a personal policy application. Um, and then you take market data and you take uh, live service feedback from travelers on trip. And all of that goes into this consumption engine, which is what the online booking tool is gonna to become. It's gonna interpret all that stuff spit out something that goes to the supplier and say this is the shopping request and of course that will that will, will flex according to the market data and then what will come back is the offer by the airline or the hotel that's your dynamic 
pricing sort of maximized at the point of sale. It's like it's like a million RFPs instead of this big annual RFP process. And technology is going to liberate that process and the policy application. I told you I'd have too much coffee. So, <laughs> so Paul. Yeah. Practically, how would yeah. you see how would you see that working? Because so, some, I mean, the the, perp, the sorry, the, the the bit having having an algorithm to go, you know, yeah. to kind of define, you know, my buying behavior or buying it, you know, behavioral economics. That's the right way. You know, some of this is here now. You know, we've yes. got some of we've got some of it, but it's around only four parameters. And you know, from what you're talking, there's going to be a lot more of that. So, do you mean, you know, people's, you know? sensitivity around price about how many stocks they want to take about you know what brands they want to use about you know what other what 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 bits do you see going into the kind of melting pot that drives that when you get a result it's like you know yeah. what this is perfect i don't need to search any anymore because it's there so that yeah, that's the key isn't it right. yeah yeah that that that's what the corporate will the travel manager will do is is assess the personal levers and the corporate levers to determine what are the factors that are going to end up with that that uh, unique policy application going out each time the information being fed out to the suppliers. And that, that will vary between you know what Karen wants at EY and what Daniel wants at Nike. It may vary with what Daniel wants at Nike in Q1 compared to what Daniel wants at Nike in Q4. It may vary dependent upon whether there's a new CEO comes in and what the, how the company objectives change. Um, how to do but, against the supply programs because yeah might, exactly might, might want to go you know i've got a short-term incentive from xyz airline or a, a kind of a dynamic offer that is you know we get free lounge access or we we board first or no middle seat next to us and then you go exactly right, or, oh, yeah See, but I mean, more, more progressive companies have the data, right? So they they gather ready the data today uh, through TMC data, corporate card data, expense data. So they know exactly what people purchase, even if there's no real fullability to purchase these services uh, through the TMC today. So they, in principle, they could also trigger that personalized servicing that Paul just described. Uh, but obviously, if we had all that uh, data coming from the TMC through NDC, then you know we would be in an even better uh, position. Um, just one one source of of truth. I mean, beyond the things that which are picked up at uh, on the road, right? Because that you're not really uh, touching the TMC. But I think we we have that ability. I think it's just a question of scalability and and really having that data in and then act the TMC uh, up on it. I think it's this is the this is the space for the opportunity for the TMC. I mean, you say that they don't get that data when the traveller's on the road. I think I think if they if their role becomes to support the corporate from end to end, they should be in touch with the traveller on the road. They should be facilitating this data. It should be real time servicing data. It should be live trip fiction metrics that determine how carefully they treat a customer and what type of services the airline might offer and i think that's that's the beautiful opportunity and to your point well, dave i mean I, i'm not a tech expert but i remember somebody describing to me if you stand up and put one of your arms low and the other one really high like you're at the base of a, a roller coaster about to go up that's what exponential growth of tech looks like and you know every year the power of computing is doubling so for this to be 
not too far away. I don't think it's unrealistic given the power of algorithms in consumer behavior. Well, yeah, but it's, it's dependent on the, on the customer's data, right? So the, the yeah. ability to capture all the data from different uh, data sources and provide that to the PMC. Yeah. I mean, yes. we're working on we're working on a project now. We're deep into it. We're just about to launch a beta, which takes exactly that thing. You know, we call it we travel with you. So it's around kind of accepting that, you know, travel isn't just that initial interaction when we book your tickets, when we book your flight. It's it's everything. It's all the products you consume, and it's if you need help, if you kind of you go to the airport and you you want to pay for you know fast track security, you don't have to queue up. We're using uh, the Internet of Things to see that you know, airport security is busy, so we'll offer you an option to go and you know, buy fast track. So we, we're, we're with something we've been working on for a year or so. We're working with a couple of universities as well uh, who've given us that kind of artificial intelligence expertise around it. And it's so it, it's here. The, 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 big, the big issue for a lot of TMCs is around, particularly in the offline environment, is at the you know. I think Paul or Karen, you made a comment earlier about travel policies being on on paper and sitting on sitting on an agent's desk. The reality is that, you know, and and you know, fifteen percent of of offline bookings where you've got that kind of environment, uh, some you know, fifteen percent of those bookings are out of policy for something because policies are just a vast. No one can remember everything, so there is a kind of need for TMCs to have to digitalize and bring all of this, so the agent doesn't have to remember anything. It's like if it's if it's if the you know the responses that come back are good, they take into account all of these individual different elements that go into policy or behaviour or my preference and dovetail with the corporate preference. So I mean that's 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 a kind of a real step change because a lot of TMCs were still using technology from 1976 and it hasn't kind of and and that's fine, but. This is the kind of this is where people really need to kind of accelerate innovation, particularly the GDSs who power a lot of TMC's frontline systems. Um, as I say, we've we're taking a slightly different path, so we're doing this any some of it anyway, but we're accelerating in other areas, particularly around AI, because this is the future. We have to be more retail friendly as a as a TMC community, and we're not. We're great wholesalers of stuff, but we're not very good retailers traditionally. So, and that's the opportunity because it gives us a greater value add to, you know, a travel manager will know exactly what we do because we manage all of this stuff. Uh, and that's that, that's the great benefit that could come out of uh, out of this six month hiatus. And, and maybe the one consideration. So it's for me, it's kind of reinventing the consumer experience in a B2B2C environment. And funnily enough, when I speak to travelers who are traveling in these days, they really complain about the experience. So they, they find that there's no real experience. Uh, and that's obviously they accept that, right? Because of all the limitations and 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 you know the restrictions and the mask wearing and then short of staff and, and all that. But I think that if if on the long term we want people to travel again that consumer experience will have to be improved. And I, I fully appreciate all the all the limitations and all the, the problems in the current context, but it, it is actually making a permanent dent, the, the, the current situation, and people are genuinely discouraged also by the quality of the consumer experience that they are getting in general. So I think there there's also maybe, uh, you know, some work to do. 
some some said that because people will be traveling less it will be less democratic in general to travel but that doesn't necessarily mean that it will be a red carpet service or more of a uh, an enhanced consumer experience out there on, on the short medium term. Yeah, I, I think it's um, this starts an interesting conversation about uh, what has been done in, in the downtime. Um, there's a, a really good article, uh, op-ed article written by Susan Lichtenstein from Digi Travel Consulting on uh, the BTN US site at the moment. Uh, and she says, you know, we've, we've had this downtime, we've had six months now. Uh, she says, why haven't we seen the network industry titans come out with better systems? Where is the digitized end-to-end -end solution or business travel booking system that genuinely mirrors how we book our trips? I, I, I think that it kind of sounds like you're, you're saying, you know, it's, it's possible. It's just a matter of getting it done. I, I think uh, you could argue, argue it's not just the last six months. It's been the last three to five years. And... Yeah. Um, the, the, the problems are all, you know, we all know are about uh, business models, incentivization, um, you know, big ships, slow to turn, um, uh, too much choice in the, in, um, in, in the market. And so, uh, yeah, yes, you know, the last six months they've been busy trying to survive. Um, it doesn't mean that they shouldn't be using the time to go back to basics and with a white sheet of paper say, right, wh where do we want to be in the future? Wh what part of the journey do we want to be servicing? What type of customer do we want to service? And and where can we bring real value to the customer? Of course, they should be doing that. But, um, you know, they've been they've been trying to survive. And um, it, it's not something if they haven't been thinking about it the last three to five years, then to suddenly start thinking about it, um, you know, it's I'm not sure they're probably in the right headspace for it either. That's the challenge. No, I mean, I can talk, you know, TMCs have to, you know, we've been talking about it sort of within various forms about reinventing their business models uh, as a whole because our business model is predicated on certain certain income, income flows from airline to GDS to TMC. And unfortunately, that defines... You know that's defined their business model, and it's very difficult for them to for t an average TMC to think outside the box. But the reality is, you need to be. You know, it is possible, and it, you, all of a sudden you go to you you move from a kind of a low margin, a low margin business model, which it, which is really difficult to withstand these kind of shocks that we've seen the last six months, to a business model where. You know, you deliver more value to your clients, but you know, as a TMC, you can you can create more value out of each trip. It's not just the flight; it's all of these other things. And you know, we're not we're in it to deliver value to a customer for sure, and that's important. But we're also doing it to broaden our income stream around around just kind of one or two products, and that's important for us because we need to be more profitable if we're to invest in new technology. You know, it's what, what, uh, one of one of, one of the other things that Susan says uh, alongside that is where she has seen innovation is, is that there's plenty of startups. And I completely agree with her on that front. I mean, we've so I think we had this conversation previously. You know, I have weekly conversations with startups. The democratization of distribution has allowed lots of new entrants in. And if, if the titans don't adjust and start providing what people like Karen and Daniel want, then there are plenty of new entrants who will start doing that. So at some point, you know, if they're not woken up now, 
they will be. Yeah, it's old. I mean, we're the um, we're the oldest TMC in the UK, and you know. 1927 we were we were founded but we're kind of i think we're at the we're at the you know we're we are a digital tmc you know we i don't rely on one source for my content because my content is is everywhere all i need is an api and and good you know paul you introduced me to someone last week and you know we're having really you know great discussions on actually yeah this is quite simple to get your content into my system i just need you to integrate here and we're good and off you know off we go so our our time span for for you know our time span of agility goes from years to weeks because it's api, API connectivity is easy and then you you know clients clients can see it you know our agents can see it and 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 we're off and running well, I think, you know, I think the one thing, you know, our ethos has always been, well, our first point of call is the TMC. If they can't do it, then we go outside to see what disruptors may be out there. And then if they can't do it, we'll probably try and build it ourselves. But I think, you know, and I've advocated this for some time, the great thing about the disruptors is it has helped to drive our industry forward. Because I think it would be even more in the dark ages if all of those ones hadn't come forward in actual fact. Now, is it quick enough? Probably not. However, at least it has helped. And, you know, I think that's a, a smart move by yourselves, David, in doing APIs, because why try and build it yourself if you can have an API that can plug the gap for you? And plus, I think we need to be supporting the entrepreneurial spirit in getting new entrants into this space so that it does challenge us and make us look at it differently. Because Otherwise, quite frankly, the industry is going to be boring. If you think about where we are now with so many people leaving it with many, many years of service, you know, just need to be on some of the social media at the minute. The fact that you've got a lot of these new companies coming in actually is a great thing just to help push it forward, which is what we need to, to encourage the new people to come into it too. Yeah, I mean, your your approach there, Karen, about um, you know, you look to the TMC to do it, and if they can't do it, you go out out to the market and you determine you can plug and play. It it kind of reinforces that we think there are four models of corporate travel management strategy. And to your point, um, Molly, about um, Susan's point about taking the time to think. Actually, the buyers, if they can and do have the time, should think about their longer term strategy. You've got closed shop where you, the appointed TMC controls the tools and services your company uses. You've got open shop where the TMC contracts additional services on your behalf. And that might be something that Karen's talking about. Or the department store where the TMC is appointed for a reduced set of services. They're the primary contractor. contractor. Um, but then you go and find other stuff and contract directly. Um, and then you've got build your own where you're actually contracting all lots of different microservices and plugging them together. And I think, you know, choosing which one of those you want to be based on your appetite for time and invest cost investment um, and your company culture and your travel need is a really important thing that travel buyers should be doing. Yeah. Agreed. To, to kind of bring this a little bit back to what we were talking about earlier with some of the policy changes and, and you know, even though cost might not be the, the, the biggest um, consideration that traveler or travel managers are looking at now because there's so many other things that they need to, to take care of first. Um, when you're talking about this level of personalization, 
and really using these tools to kind of make sure that the traveler can build the trip that they want. Is there a danger that that's going to drive costs up? Not necessarily. Not, you know, if you've got policies all, you know, policy takes many forms and, you know, it's, you can still give freedom and choice, but just have, you know, it could be a, a trip cap. No trip can cost more than X that's domestic. Um, you can have a, you know, a, 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 a policy around each particular element of the trip, you know, around kind of advanced booking around the cost of that. So it depends on the corporate that what you need is what what the online booking tools need and the TMC needs is an engine that can account for all of this and is flexible, flexible enough to know, you know particularly when things like NDC come. NDC's here, Paul, I know, before you mention it, but in terms of some of the real innovation, some of the real innovations that we'd, we'd love to see around new products coming on board you're going to have to have policy around that um yeah. but it's it's a rules engine at the end of the day you just add yes. a new rule and and off you go it's not it's not complex despite no. what some online booking tools make it make it out it's simple just you just got to have the flexibility to be able to manage it super quickly uh and, well, bring, well, it and, and, and bring it in you and other than that it's i don't see I don't see it driving cost up because the co the cost is there now. It's just hidden in other areas that travel managers can't control because it's done on expenses and it's paying claim and it's just it's, it's off grid. So bringing that all into one place is, it, I think, it will do quite the opposite. Yeah, and, and maybe there's an additional thought. Like uh, even even prior to the crisis that are currently, I think there's a problem of. Um, really rationalizing what's like what's reasonable really in terms of cost and, and pricing I think that's that's often a problem that travel managers face with their internal customers and their managers like what what is what is a fair price for this or that and what's 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 not and I think the the relative sticks that companies have been using loose logical uh, which is uh, always uh, compared to a time window and then not really uh, absolute references has been actually going against that. And, and I think based on my experience, many people actually assume things that there's maybe a rebate or something when you buy something uh, at the preferred property or in a preferred airline. So I think it comes down to also educating your, your internal consumers about, about what's reasonable. And, and I guess there's also a layer of purpose of, of your trip, right? You will not necessarily, um, do the same or, or choose the same type of services uh, or, or, or level of services uh, depending your, on your purpose of your trip. How, how do you actually manage that? That's a different question because it's always or, or very often uh, self-declared, right? The trip purpose. So it's, it's very hard to, to control that. But I think there's a layer of that as well. One illustration of that sort of mix of, of individual control and, cor and corporate control, uh, those levers, was um, a, a product idea that we came up with in, in what, what, what we referred to as the IATA Travel Manager Advisory Group Propathon, which was a design thinking exercise. And what the buyers came up with was this idea that, um, you know, the, the travel buyer might negotiate a fare of $1,000 between London to New York as a corporate price. But um, uh, within that, there might be an option for 10 different ancillary services of which they were allowed to pick three. Um, and so you're giving choice at the point of sale, but some control by the corporation. Now, that doesn't necessarily work 
uh, well, maybe it does. I was thinking in Karen's dynamic pricing world, um, I, th I still think you can apply in an API environment, you, you've got the flexibility to apply product distribution like that. It's more complex, but it's it's an illustration of how you might manage manage the two. To your point about cost, though, you know, I, I don't think we should um, remove cost as a factor in policy drivers um, going forward. I mean, one one buyer at the um, at the business travel show America yesterday said to us, um, "I cut five million from my budget list last year," and their CFO just turned around and said, "Well, what about the rest of it?" And so he was thinking he was doing a great job in presenting that five million down, but clearly there's a focus on on cost as well. I've I've heard from a few buyers that. They're, they're a little bit, maybe not concerned, but there, there is an opportunity to cut costs even more if they, uh, like Karen was saying, look at your your day trips that maybe don't need to happen. Look at alternatives to, to traveling that, um, you know, you can, you can save that little bit of cost by doing something just slightly different. Um, also supports, you know, the other objectives of an organisation, you know, so ours on sustainability is really key and you just link the two together, to be honest, and then you can really, really drive what you're trying to achieve from a corporation perspective too. And that's what we're using it for. Yeah, we, we, we call it triple P procurement, people, planet and profit, or in this instance, cost and return on investment. If you consider those three factors in your future travel program and chain and defining what the right behaviors are, I think to Karen's point, it's exactly the right way to go. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that was the, that was one of the other things that I was gonna say is a lot of um, travel managers that I've spoken to are seeing this as, a, as an opportunity to really look at how sustainable their program is, not just from the perspective of looking after their travelers, um, but also looking after the environment, looking at how much travel they were doing that maybe wasn't necessary, that they can now cut out. And this is this is a good opportunity for them to really look at the, the level of travel that they were doing and think, do we really need to do that much in the future? Um, you know, is, I is think this there are different reasons for travel that may have recently emerged as well. I mean, I go back to that that change in you know the work from home environment may may create shorter business trips. There may be a need for to encourage more people to go to conferences so that they there's a chance to build culture as a team there. There might be to Karen's point that the individual overnight trip might go, but maybe people go on longer tours. They use a flight over to stay for a month to do lots of different stuff on site and then come back. So, uh, you know, travel might, I'm sure it will decrease. I'm, I'm fairly sure it won't go back to where it was, but it will be different as well. And that that's also really exciting is defining what that different looks like. Agreed. I think we all believe in travel making connections possible, but there's also a fair amount of, as you said, the culture and the identity of companies, which is, which is kind of lost if you don't meet, if you don't go and, and meet in person. So I think there's there's going to be probably a reinforcement of that, which will compensate for the lack of, of, of trips or less trips uh, as business trips. Yeah. Right, um, so to kind of wrap up this conversation a little bit, um, I want to get thoughts from each of you. What are your hopes? for how travel managers will, will deal with their programs in the future. 
whatever form that takes, whether it's looking at technology more or the sustainability sustainability aspect or duty of care, you know, what are your hopes and wishes? So maybe maybe one thought about uh, we have a very short term um, risk angle, right, which is kind of overwhelming and making everything else look very small. And I, I, I hope that that aspect can be somehow uh, leaved or, or eased. And there's there's more investment in, in how we can actually work on the consumer experience. Uh, technology and suppliers enable that. Uh, uh, so that's that's obviously a precondition. And, and we can really genuinely go to our travelers and, and tell them, you'll have a good experience, you'll be healthy and safe while you travel. Um, which is, you know, uh, not not the case today. So I really hope that we'll, we'll get to that point, and people feel be in, empowered and enabled and having a good experience. So I, I would I'd say three things. No hotel RFPs. Thanks, Karen. Nice one. Great. Championing that. Well um, <laughs> elimination of leakage, um, and. Uh, Buyers challenging the state, you know, more buyers challenging the status quo. You know, megas, megas, and I say the mega TMCs aren't always the most agile to um, to keep up with the innovation that's out there. So there's a whole, you know, like there's new entrants. There's also some very old entrants, but but still have some of the uh, <laughs> still have you know have a lot of the innovation that's needed. So. <laughs> It's it's, it's 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 out there. It just doesn't sit with that traditional mega 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 group of TMCs. So there's a lot of really cool stuff going on. Not just us, but a lot of you know some of yeah my, my peers as well. So but an acceptance of it that it doesn't have to be the same name across the door and every TMC you have around the world. There's a, there's a there's a lot of there's a lot more agile competition out there. I think mine is I hope that the people in travel manager roles have been able to elevate themselves internally, um, that actually travel meetings and events is core to doing business. I think sometimes there are people in roles that they hide behind what they do and don't put themselves out in the forefront. And I think this has really put us in the forefront and I hope that we can really show the value that we can bring and that's for the whole industry actually and I think what this has actually made companies realize that you need to meet, you need to see each other, you need to engage with people, clients etc and I just hope that it gets elevated in all corporates um, that everybody can see that. I'm not sure whether it is necessarily the case but I hope that people do drive that forward because I think that's vital for our industry, actually. And and I'm not saying it just because it's vital for the industry. I actually believe that it is something that is vital within any organisation. But at the same time, at the minute, it's vital for our industry. So I'm going to I'm going to bring it back to policy, something I never thought I'd say, because for me, policy is the most boring thing in the world. But I think it's where the excitement is. So. Um, I think a travel program which encompasses the three P's, people, profit, profit, planet, it's linked, directly linked to company objectives in a dynamic way as those objectives change. It's directly linked and accounts for a change in market conditions and all the change that we're seeing at speed. 
and it's all applied at both point of sale and point of experience through great technology to liberate the boring old policy. That's what I, that's what I would like to see. Paul, I was thinking as you started talking, you sound like a politician and you ended it perfectly. <laughs> I've got too many skeletons in my cupboards to be a politician, but being a festive roader, it's accepted. So don't worry. <laughs> so, so we're not going to see a Paul Tillstone 2020 campaign? No, we're not. No, 2020 is <laughs> over. We're 2021 here. <laughs> Great. Thank you very much, everybody. And I think that's uh, I think we had a really good conversation today. So so thank you very much for that. A uh, lot of food for thought, I think, for travel managers to take away and and sort of look at what they're doing in their own policies. Um, so thank you very much again. And we'll see you next time. Thanks. Thank Thanks you. Bye -bye. Thank you. Bye.